my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Hello and welcome to the Beach Commute podcast. Today we have got a really awesome guest. Her name is Agnes. Um, Agnes and I spent a month together in Nigeria back in 2019 and so I'm super excited. She is just like a bright light of sunshine. You're gonna love her. Um, Prior to her nomad life, Agnes was managing assisted living facilities, so a very in-person job, and then transitioned. When we met, she was working um, in life support education with a lot of time on the phone, I recall, and now she um, is doing work as a healthcare instructor. So, Agnes, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, uh, Melissa. Yeah. Can't wait to chat. So I forgot to mention, Agnes is from Kenya, where she currently resides when she's not traveling. Um, I've been once to Kenya many years ago. I hope to get back soon. But Agnes, can you tell us a little bit about just yourself, where you grow up, what your what your life was like before you started nomading? Um, so as you said, I'm Kenyan. So I grew up uh, in Kenya, so born and raised Um I've done, uh, after high school, I went to college in Uganda for my bachelor's and then I did my master's in the U.S., uh, where I stayed for 13 years before 2019, oh, not 2018, when I was coming from one of our nomad cruise trips, uh, I ended up not being able to get into the U.S. because of some expired documents, so... Um, I used to be a digital nomad, but not full-time. But after that, I became a full-time digital nomad. Of course, right now, because of COVID, we're, um, it's been a while since I've been traveling long-term. I've been doing short trips within the country and uh, neighboring countries, but I've not really done much of uh, travel. Um, yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Um, so I just wanted to tell you that's uh, a little bit of background <laughs> from about myself. Yeah, perfect. So Agnes, you have a little bit of a crazy story actually transitioning from living in the U.S., having an apartment, having all the things, having a job, to going on Nomad Cruise, and then your life like flipped upside down. What are if whatever you can share about that? Will you just kind of like talk? I guess goosebumps. Will you yeah. talk about that journey because it's a wild story? Yeah. Um. So what happened is I used to run assisted livings. So um, with the assisted living, anyone who's been in healthcare knows that healthcare <laughs> is te- tedious. But I know like with COVID, it's even worse. Uh, but yeah. um, during that time, I transitioned from being a certified nursing assistant to becoming a manager overnight. And I was working 24-7 because our companies had, uh, our buildings had so many lawsuits. And so I was working with lawyers uh, to get through the cases. And at the same time, I was running the assisted livings that uh, poorly managed to a point that they were about to go under. Um, underground. So, uh, so I went from choosing uh, eight to uh, like eight hour shift to working twenty four seven. My phone rang all the time because I was the one in charge, yeah. or, and I was in charge of many people. 
Uh, fast forward um, 2013, I, uh, I went, uh, I was just already feeling exhausted, but I think I had not had time to think about myself. So I went to a gynecology appointment as usual. So I'm like, I'm going to be in and out and back to work. <laughs> and uh, my gynecologist asked me one question that morning. And uh, many people usually ask me, like, how are you? And you automatically say, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> but this yeah. time, for some reason, I actually thought about it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's analyzed. I'm not fine. <laughs> So I started bawling so badly uh, that right. I scared the gynecologist and he was like, what's wrong? And I, was like, I, I just told him, it's not you. I just realized how miserable I've been. So it was the first time I was actually realizing, oh my God, I cannot do this. And before even that happened, there was a time prior to that where I had, uh, I woke up one morning and usually I just wake up, my alarm goes off and I jump out of bed and I go to work. But that day I just couldn't move. Um, So I called uh, my primary physician and I'm like, "Uh, I can't move today. And they're like, he's, (laughs) he's like, I think you have depression. You're depressed. It's not normal to just not wake up one morning. And he's like, do you feel <laughs> sick? Do you? I'm like, no, I can't feel. I don't feel anything. It's just that I'm not getting up. <laughs> and I have right. so much to do because when I looked at my calendar, it's full. So there is no way like I can just wake up in the morning and decide to chill <laughs> like I had a full yeah. calendar. So he put me on some antidepressants. I think he put me on something very mild. Um, I can't quite remember what it was, but it was very mild. Um, and he just told me, I think uh, you should uh, look at your work schedule. <laughs> and I kind of, I took, actually, I took those medications for uh, for like one, two, three days. And then I started forgetting. And then I just pushed it to the side, <laughs> never followed up, continued with my busy schedule. And then fast forward to the gynecology appointment and I realized I'm miserable. So that time, that was the second time it was happening is when I started now (laughs) taking it seriously. So I just went to my job the same day, typed up a letter and told them you have 30 days, I'm resigning. I did not have a job, like lined up. Gives me all the so, chills. <laughs> and I was living in Minneapolis, St. Paul, like in the middle, where in a very expensive apartment, which uh, I was never there. So I got to enjoy it after I resigned. And um, so pretty much for the next three, four months, I was just eating potato chips and drinking beer all day long, watching Netflix. All day long. What am I? And then it got to the third, fourth month, and then I was like, I need to find a job. I was not yeah. ready to take any employment. Um, right. And uh, part of the, my condition was uh, I choose the hours I work and uh, I choose how much I get paid. Because I thought right. I was actually getting paid a lot when I worked that other job, but it was a 24-hour um uh, our job and I was being paid at that time 75,000 a year which is good money right. but it, when but for I, the hours you were yeah, actually working but when I calculated the hours <laughs> the inconvenience my health took a toll I'm like 
I was yeah. being way underpaid. I think even the people who flipped burgers and McDonald's were doing better than I was. <laughs> yeah. So, when you add up all of the things on your, on your mental health and your personal health, it's not yeah, worth it. Yeah. But, you know, like I was raised in, uh, like I went to boarding school. That's, I guess, I didn't mention in the intro. <laughs> so from fifth grade to all the way through high school, I went to boarding school and it was Catholic. So the nuns were always teaching us about stuff so i was right. told to do whatever it takes work hard yeah. and for as well, long as you yeah. can and so i had that mentality throughout yeah. that's why i was uh, like working uh like two jobs trying to get through my master's got this job that was ridiculous i should have really said no because i wasn't really qualified for it to begin with and then secondly right. it was a ridiculous amount of hours which i was not taking care of myself so i should yeah. have taken little steps to get there but it was just a baptism <laughs> by fire <laughs> yeah but i think you know whether you have that religious background you're you're supporting school and nuns and things like that but regardless i think so many people from different cultures and different countries we all have that mentality that's, I think, really just starting to change. Mm-hmm. But for so many years, it really was like, yeah, work as hard as you can, burn yourself out. It's it's honorable to be tired and exhausted because it means you're working your way up. Um, but obviously, it took such a toll on your health. I love that moment when you just have that breakdown sobbing that, yeah, I'm not okay. Um, but sometimes I think it happens so slowly that people don't always realize or it's not so I think when we have moments that are so bad and you get to those moments where you can't even get out of bed, we realize, but a lot of times people live in that kind of on the edge of like, it's bad enough, but it's not so bad that you keep functioning and you live this way forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what we love to talk about here, that there's another way to live. So yeah. what happened next after? So you're <laughs> eating potato chips, drinking beer, yeah. <laughs> realize you need to get another job. What happens next? So uh, one of my anxieties, the reason why, like, I always, whatever I took, I always worked out in the U.S. is because I didn't have a backup. Like, I don't have, I didn't have right. rich parents <laughs> who could pay my bills right. while I'm in the U.S. or something. Yeah. So uh, I think the reason why I didn't transition was because I was always fighting to not be broke. So after those four months, I had taken the time to think and think about what's my priority. And I realized money is important, but it's not everything. It can get me places, but without my health, it's useless. Right. You can't do anything. Yeah. And then I also started to be like, Literally, I think if you called me, you told me, can you do this job for $7 an hour? If I didn't have a job, I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Can you work (laughs) this hour and this hour? And I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. Then that time helped me um, notice the value I have on myself. So I was usually just the yes, yes, yes. And now I started realizing, you know what, I need to start saying no to things that uh, do not benefit me. And uh, to me, uh, like when, when I was being raised, it was like, um, if you say yes, you're helping. If you say no, you're selfish. Well, right. (laughs) In real life, if you keep saying yes, you'll run yourself to an early grave. So, oh, such an important lesson, yeah. yeah. So I just decided, you know, 
set hours. This is the amount of hours I want to work. This is how much I want to be paid. If you can't agree to that, that's it. I, I'm not going to take yeah. it. So the first projects I was working with was actually affiliation, <laughs> affiliate marketing. And uh, the pod, I listened to a podcast by, I don't know whether that guy still does podcasts, but I used to <laughs> listen to him during my four months, whatever was going on. <laughs> um, it was uh, the future of work. I think he was okay. one of the few guys who had podcasts at that time. Yeah. And then also I was, because I was researching more about, I started doing the uh, freelancing on um, that um, I was doing freelancing for um, what was it? It was more such engine of optimization at that time. Right. Well, nowadays, I think the terminologists have changed and now they call it affiliate or whatever. So, <laughs> so anyway, it was an end to an, uh, like a means to an end. Um, so it paid my rent. I didn't really have very extra money, but also I didn't want to move from my apartment because I loved it so much. And I was yeah. so used to staying at home that I decided I don't want to go to any office. <laughs> So um, my company that I used to manage assisted livings for called me back and I told, I gave them my conditions. This is how much I want to be paid, which I kind, I like over quoted it. And I thought right. they were going to say no, because I, honestly, I just was, I wasn't feeling like going back into the fire. Again. <laughs> like, I'll say it so high, they'll say no, and I won't have to. <laughs> so, yeah. So actually, I gave them like the shortest hour, the most amount of money I want to be paid. <laughs> and they said, yes, they were in trouble. Oh, the okay. health department right. was like running after them. So anyway, I, I was able to get that. And then uh, that's when I did it for almost three, four months. And I realized, oh, this is it. This is how people can actually afford life without running themselves ragged. Burning out. So, yeah. yeah. So that since then, that uh, started becoming my, man is it a mantra? If it's, okay, I might yes. have used this wrong. <laughs> started becoming my like mantra. It. So, um, yeah. and then uh, fast forward, I wanted more freedom for my, and uh, more, uh, more, I wanted, because I was making more money now and I had more time, so I started traveling. So um, when I started traveling, I couldn't do these jobs where I could go to assisted living and do, uh, and uh, and be able to help them and go travel. So I needed to think about a business that I can be able to do and still travel. That's how I went. Right. I came into life support classes. So with yeah. the life support classes, I would do them in the conference room of my apartment building. That apartment came in handy, by the way. I, sh I would have been, <laughs> I would have needed to get an office, but because I could use yeah. that conference room, it worked perfect for me. Amazing. So I would have people come to me and I would just set appointments when I want them to come. So that worked for me because I would schedule myself like I'd work for a month straight and then get enough money, be gone for two months. Actually, I split it in half more. So I'd be gone for two, three weeks, come back for a week or two, go back for three, two, three weeks. So that's <laughs> how I kept doing it up to 2018. Right. When um, I actually, the guy that got me into the digital nomad lifestyle, I used to watch him on YouTube 
during that uh, three months uh, when I was uh, watching the podcast. That was with, uh, pivotal. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris the freelancer. He was in Bali, I think, at that time. And uh, that's uh, how I ended up on the Nomad Cruise. Is, I was going to ask, uh, And yeah. my friends thought I was crazy. And they're like, so you know no one in Spain. You have not <laughs> verified anything. You don't know this paper, but you're getting your ass over there. <laughs> yeah, yep. And, and I was like, yep. And who are you going with? No one. Just myself. <laughs> like, uh, what if you get there and um, you find it doesn't exist? I'm like, I'll figure it out. So yeah. took the uh, took the flight. The best thing I've ever done because once I got oh. to Nomad uh, Cruise, I started knowing like the digital nomad lifestyle. That's when I started traveling more and scheduled my classes in such a way I have a break to go make right. money and then come back and travel more. So I was still transitioning, uh, trying to transition myself to full time nomading. And by 2018, yeah. I had already moved like all my bills, like everything online. So by the time I couldn't get into the States, I had not fully transitioned. But because I was already on the way to that, right. it made it a lot easier. The only thing I didn't have was the business plan. <laughs> like I had the idea <laughs> that how are you going to do it? Because no one in yeah. life support did it. So the first time when I... I did it. I just scheduled people, but I decided, you know what, it's going to be via Zoom. So I did it via Zoom for a while. That time I was in Brazil and then got to <laughs> Bolivia. The internet was shit. <laughs> so I could no longer be able to do Zoom calls. And then I realized, you know what, most of these people would not even care what mode you use as long as you right. you can deliver whatever you need to deliver. So I right. moved to phone calls and everyone was like, oh, thank God I didn't need to look for a computer or something. <laughs> or I can do this That's during so my break or whatever. It was convenient for the people I was working with too. Right. So um, the thing that I changed, though, is I used to, um, when I was uh, in the U.S., when people could come to me, I could train new people, like people who are new in healthcare and want to learn about right. life support. But because of the method of delivery that I was using, it was not practical for those people because they need hands-on and I can't yeah. do that. So I eliminated that whole lot. And I was a little yeah. bit worried because I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make enough money because I've gotten a huge chunk of the people that I used to get were those initial people, the people who had never done it right. before. But right. the funny thing is when I started doing it more convenient for people to do it, making it more convenient for people to do it remotely, I started getting lots right. of referrals to a point, to a point like I had such a full schedule, I could not handle it anymore. So what I did is I started, nowadays I only work with uh, staffing agencies. So because, yeah. they have, because they have to check your credentials before you get into healthcare, I just started right. dealing with just specifically staffing agencies and only the people who already knew me prior and, uh, con uh, and uh, contact me directly, those ones I do. But other than right. that, I just eliminated the other part of the business. 
But the advantage of that is uh, um, I ended up getting reliable people who will make payments without question. And uh, I got rid of, like, you know, when people are doing something initially, they have so many questions, you get so many emails. (laughs) So I was lucky that once I did that, I cut my emails by like, nowadays I rarely receive emails except the ones where, like the agencies are asking me for something because they already have all they need. They just forward it to their employees and I only get for yeah. numbers and and what yeah. they want. So yeah, it has worked to that. my advantage that way. So right now I have okay. more time to start working on other business. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, I love um, something you kind of said. There's there's a phrase I love that says, start with the end in mind and work your way backwards. So for the coaching, I do a lot. Of, I have done a lot of one-on-one coaching. And like you, I was like, I could do it on Zoom, but I don't always know what my Wi-Fi is going to be like because I want to be in remote places. Yeah. So I do it audio only. And I found it was actually works better. Like it it's is. a deeper connection. You yeah, don't have so... to dress up. You don't have exactly. to I can look like, like a, a background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can just like be in a, a weird place or on a beach and no one knows. And um, it's really great. So with everything, like you said, you know, there's been a bunch of business that I've set up where I said, you know, I could do something in person or it would, you know, it could work this way. But because I know I want to travel and live this way like you did, like really be intentional with what you're setting up the kind of job you're doing and make sure it works. Like if your priority, like you said, is traveling and having this adventurous lifestyle, then, then you do that. And I want to back up and ask you, so for people, you and I have both done nomad cruise, but we did it, I think a year apart on different ones. Um, But can you explain to someone who has never heard of nomad cruise, what it is, like, what were the people like that you met? Why was it so inspiring? Um, what was inspiring about Nomad, like when I went to the second Nomad cruise, there were a lot of people that I already knew from the previous Nomad cruise. So from yeah. that perspective, I don't think it's very helpful for someone who's trying to find <laughs> out what Nomad cruise is, because actually, right. um, I learned more on my first Nomad cruise than I did on my <laughs> second Nomad cruise, because on the second Nomad cruise, now I had friends and we were more like socializing right. a lot more than really for following what Nomad Cruise is all about. Yeah. Well, what Nomad Cruise is, is um, it's a, a cruise that's set up. Um, usually it does mostly Europe and uh, sometimes Europe to South America, which was the last one that I took. It was from uh, Barcelona to Recife in Brazil. Um, and uh, what they do is they have uh, different... Um, what do we call it? They have different topics. So they have people come and talk about their remote businesses and share ideas about their different projects. And uh, what I liked about that is when I first came, became, uh, was thinking even of becoming a nomad, I did not know that there is so many other different options (laughs) of things that people can do and uh, be remotely independent. So um, so I got those ideas from there. And uh, what I liked is people are very open about what yeah. they're doing. Because in most cases, um, at least in the work environment that I used to be in, <laughs> people tend to hide their projects. They don't want you to know like what they're really working on, how is it done right. step by step. But you'll find 
that in the like nomad cruise everyone's uh, willing to share even the first intro everyone's there they're willing to meet you it's not an effort yeah. of you to uh, <laughs> trying to socialize because everyone wants to meet you they want to know what yeah. you're doing they're excited to explain to you what they are doing <laughs> yeah. which, which is really cool it was such a, a breath of fresh air because then i got different ideas about different things some of them i can do the same but some of i would listen to and i'd be like oh if it were me i would do it this way differently so right. and right. Uh, the world is a big market so uh no one's gonna yeah. take all the business from you so and uh, the yeah. nomads already have that concept and that's why <laughs> that's the biggest group that's thriving even during the pandemic we i think we were the yeah. most successful group because of that yeah, we because we learned to, to adapt <laughs> yeah. yeah we learned to adapt and it's a lifestyle and with the nomad cruise at the end of the nomad cruise um so every day there is different stuff in the you're not tied to this specific schedule so you can choose right. you can choose which topics you're interested in I didn't like waking up in the morning and it's because I was, <laughs> I was mostly partying at up night and partying. it's not in the morning. So <laughs> mostly I used to go attend things as from 11 o'clock onwards. But before that, I was never there. But the good thing about that is you, you'll find someone who actually attended whatever you wanted to learn <laughs> and they right. and you would uh, uh they would tell you what they learned from there and usually nomad cruise has like a description of the scheduled speakers so you can be able to find them during your time there and go and uh, ask your questions socialize do stuff like that so that's uh, really cool and then after the nomad cruise usually for a few days they have planned events so you can go to a certain place uh, like maybe Santorini or depending on where the cruise is going the destination right. that was the first mistake i did as a new nomad cruiser is i didn't know that uh, after nomad cruise people actually stick around and travel together for extended yeah. periods of time and actually that's <laughs> where the new businesses are made you get to really um know your quality friends that you made on the cruise because now it's real life um right right yeah. so um so usually you want to reserve that time to get to know the people you met on the cruise and yeah, uh, always, say, always, always book a one way always make a a one way flight because you never yeah. know who you'll meet where you'll want to stay what you'll what you want to do it's, it's like definitely my motto that. no matter where i travel yeah, yeah it's good you mentioned that because um on my last cruise actually believe it or not and that was my second cruise is <laughs> i had made plans from uh i had a return ticket i was going from this to that no. and that was a, <laughs> that was the greatest I've, i wasted so much money on pre-planned yeah. stuff i never do yeah. that again even right now i don't travel <laughs> that much but people never, just right. ask me why do you make one way trips i'm like it's, it's cheaper than canceling 
Um, exactly, exactly. People always think it's like it's cheaper to buy a two, you know, a, a return flight or a two-way ticket, but if you're not going to want to get on it, like that's yeah. not worth any amount of money to, to then you're booking two flights, but I love everything you you said about about Nomad Cruise and I really think of it as almost like a business conference on a boat for nomads, mm-hmm. but it's anywhere from what like 200 to 500 nomads depending on it. And, um, you know, so I think so many people in our community who aren't yet living the nomad life have a fear of like, what if it, am I going to meet anyone? It's going to be lonely. And no, I can only say, like you said, you're like, I know we always promise, but it's so hard to imagine. So I love that you, you know, your friends as well, like you're crazy. You're just going alone. You're just flying to Spain. You don't know anyone, but you get on a boat. And I think nomad cruise is one of the great ways to build a network of nomads really quickly. And that's been, I know, a network of people that you've kind of traveled with and continue to tap into. Yeah. And you, um, and we have like an alumni group on Facebook, which is really like yeah. interactive where like if you're stuck in Bulgaria, or you don't know where to go, you can just quickly. <laughs> type and tell them uh what which hostels can i stay in what yeah. which are the best uh places to go eat and stuff like that and yeah. people are very responsive so even after going to the nomad cruise you have that benefit of community that will last for years yeah. and you don't have to necessarily know someone one-on-one in order to ask something. If you had them mention something on the cruise and you are even from five miles away, you can just contact (laughs) them on Facebook and be like, hey, by the way, you mentioned this and this and this. Could you explain more or something like that? And most people are very receptive. So I really like that about uh, Nomad Cruise. Yeah. I think to your point, I love what you mentioned about nomad, just helping each other in general and being really adaptive. I think it's just what's so different, you know, when you're in just your home country or wherever you live, it's like you're not meeting new people that aren't necessarily helpful because they don't need to be. But travelers, we really depend on, you know, meeting new friends, making friends quickly, helping each other out. And so it is like once you find that community and you tap in, it's like it's it's so helpful. Yeah. And you and I, you know, as an example, let's jump into Nigeria because so we had a friend in common, Matt, who had been on Nomad Cruise with you and then separately a different year had been on Nomad Cruise with me. He wanted to go to Nigeria. He recruited both of us and then we ended up living together. So even if you don't know um, someone personally, we're like, oh, it's like a Nomad Cruiser. She's Matt's friend. Like, of course, I, you know, he'll he'll find awesome people. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So let's jump in. I'd love to talk about, well, anything you wanted to tell us a couple of different, like some of your highlights of countries that you've been to as a nomad. And then maybe we can jump into some of our time in Nigeria as well. Oh, yeah. Um, So as a nomad, uh, one of the places that I really loved to visit was Norway. Norway, like Ooh, I had, I forgot, yeah. yeah, I had <laughs> never, like it tested my physical ability. <laughs> they have really nice uh, sceneries. And um, yeah. I went to, it's called, I think, the longest st- uh, stairs in the world, which is like uh, almost 5,000 stairs. And it's so high wow. up, very steep. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking about, because I just did a hike for two and a half hours uphill to go and see the mountain gorillas in Uganda. That was oh, I know. I messaged you about that. I, I have to hear about that afterwards. I'm dying to do that. That was tough. But uh, Norway, I think, just takes it. I think because of it was already raining on us. And when you start yeah. at the bottom, it's uh, it's warm. And then you get to the top, the wind is so cold oh. and freezing. Yeah. And the physical just climbing one after the other. I went, I was going up with a camera and a backpack. 
at the end of that trip, everyone had helped me with everything because I could not. <laughs> I could not <laughs> I get myself it. up. So when I first started, wow. I was at, at the beginning of the line. And by the like, time we ended, <laughs> I was at the very last uh, part of the line. Which yeah. Everyone was so patient with me. But I loved it because... I had never, like when I was in the US, I had a gym in my apartment, but I never really went right. to the gym. But yeah. it got me thinking about, I'm physically not active at all. I really need to start being active because if I'm going to yeah. go to all these cool places, I need to get to the top. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hike up those mountains. Yeah, because it's uh, the same thing. Like you get to the top, the view is amazing. Like uh, this, yeah. all uh, the fjords and just the environment, even the cool air that's up there just feels more fresh than the one at the bottom. Right. And then it's and it's the same thing with the gorilla places. Like you take two and a half hours uphill, and this is not like a smooth. It's just rocks that you're climbing over, and it's very wow. uneven. And then um, I I remember just turning around and asking the guys, "Do you think I'm gonna make it?" Because you know, <laughs> don't forget, I spent the whole of COVID eating. <laughs> I had gained a couple pounds and all of a sudden I'm going uphill and I'm like, I cannot do this. But I got to the top and once I saw the gorillas, it was so worth it. So, oh my gosh, tell us, Agatha. So, Billy, though, there's gorillas, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's still in Uganda, Rwanda, and um. Yes, and in the Congo. So, like the three only three countries in the world where these gorillas still exist in in the wild in this way. So, this is one of my. I just was supposed to go to with with COVID. I haven't done it. Um, so, tell us. And and actually, you went with Stella, who you met on Nomad Cruise, yeah. right? So, there's She's another, another connection nomad that got you there. Cruise, yeah, I've yeah, been to a lot of cool places with Nomad Cruises people. Exactly, <laughs> and that's what's so cool to see because you might not have otherwise done that. But I yeah. saw you posting that, and I messaged you. And this is one of the other brilliant things about COVID. I mean, about COVID about Nomad where I saw you and I was like, who do I contact? Where do I go? Who did your tour? And it's like, okay, research done. I'll do what you did. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is one of the most epic things I'm excited to do. So tell, will you tell us just a little bit about what was it like to see those gorillas in the wild and anything else about Uganda you want to share? Um, so Uganda, Uganda's dynamic is very uh, different. And actually, I need to tell you this about like generally my tra- kind of travel. Because okay, I, yeah. think I'm, I'm, I think I'm on a different um, position versus uh, local people who have stayed in Kenya and Uganda and are doing travel okay. in Africa. Because right. I turned, uh, when I first came to Kenya, I and I'll get to the gorillas in a minute. Um, no, I love to hear all of it. It's so fascinating. Um, so when I came to uh, when I first came back to Kenya in by the way it's uh, right after um, West Africa in uh, 2019 yeah. um, after we traveled together yeah yeah so I I was I got really sick and I always say I got COVID before other people before COVID was COVID. Uh, so it took me a few months to get better and then once I got better I was like well now I'm in Kenya I'm gonna uh, like I had already gotten an apartment because it was taking me forever to get better and I really wanted my space so that I can uh, do my own things Um, but then I started uh, to socialize with uh, try to socialize with uh, the people that I have met here 
I mean, that um, that I hear, even old friends, and I came to realize I've changed so much. Like, wow, I don't yeah. have the same interests anymore. And then I realized yeah. also, like, I've lost lost my local discount. The moment I just opened my name, my mouth, like, <laughs> the price is already a little bit higher than it normally is. Tourist and prices. <laughs> yeah, and it's because, like, my mannerisms also have changed. Um, wow. I remember I went to the beauty shop once and the guy was like, uh, uh, how long have you been outside of the country? Don't forget, I only spoke to him in Swahili. And I asked him, how wow. did you know? You know? And you already know how I dress like homeless person. <laughs> so <laughs> it's obviously not the outfit. <laughs> so I, I, just, um, I just realized like it's hard to blend in. It's had like yeah. from a distance or something. What did, what did he say? How did he know in that moment? He said, I apologize too much. <laughs> He's like, Kenyans don't Whoa. do that. <laughs> and that I apologize so and I say thank you too much. <laughs> and that's how he was able to pin it. And I was like, I Ew. guess my mannerism has changed. So now I started wow. like, I if I wanted to go uh, get something that's uh, like uh, quite expensive, I have to take like my sister or someone from here and not talk. Oh my god! So that I could wow. get a regular price. So and you lived in Kenya for how many years until you left? I left here at twenty-four when I was twenty-four. But twenty-four also, years. That's wild. That those yeah. years away. I mean, like you are Kenyan, um, born and raised. But there. it's, it's a little bit different because uh, because I was influenced with. Um, when I was growing up, the neighborhood where I grew up was mostly right. uh, Indians there. So the I culture, yeah. So the culture was From already Bollywood. Yeah. So the culture was already a little bit mixed because of the right. different cultures that have been brought in. And then, right. and then from there, I went to boarding school where you're told what to do. <laughs> and then, uh, and then from there, I went to Uganda, which is a different country. And uh, right. from there, I went to the U.S. So I've never really like uh, been on the streets, like where like right. I have like a solid here where I'm uh, meaning by streets. I mean like where uh, among Kenyans where it's not mixed. So when right. it, uh, the only place where I had that was in boarding school, but those boarding schools were run by Irish nuns. So <laughs> what a wild mix of all different yeah. influences so, you've had. It's yeah. Cool. And so I've seen, I've found the same thing in my travels. So I realized I can't quite really get the best deals. So I started uh, hanging out with the expats and uh, yeah. it started becoming more like uh, I have, we have a little, uh, some similarities about how we right. do things. And then also the other thing was the financial uh, piece is uh, the things that I want to do cost more. And uh, right. the people that I hang out with, if they're locals, they cannot do the things that I want to do. And I don't right. want them uh, always feeling like, you know, left out. So right. I always tend to not even share what I did because I don't want them to feel bad. So right. it so it's uh, it's like that. So in Kenya, mostly like even when I'm going to places uh, for vacation and stuff, the most people that I find there are mostly expats or nomads. Right. <laughs> um, right. And right. it's the same thing in Uganda. When I went into in in Uganda, uh, my sister lives in Uganda, by the way. 
So oh, I didn't know I, she was there now. Yeah. Yeah. So I did stay with my sister for a little bit, but the things my sister does and the things I do are two completely different things. Right. So right. so I was more hanging out with Stella and hanging out with the other experts that are in Uganda and there is a huge huge population of experts in Uganda. Yeah. And uh that so we do like the gorilla trip was super like expensive in terms I mean it was cheaper compared to what it usually is but it's also right. expensive for lo- for locals. It's not an activity yeah. that all locals decide let's go do. So, right. yeah, my travel, my local travel has been affected that way. Um, yeah. So it's the same thing I think you, you notice in Nigeria. Like if they notice like you are a foreigner, you must have money. So we have to charge you more, even if they're selling you crap. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I stood out there as a foreigner for sure. I was noted every everywhere we went. But yeah, yeah. any highlights? Um, and actually, I want to I want to back up for a second because I think several points you hit on are so important of just kind of identity. And as you come, the more I travel, the more I come back home, the harder it is to fit in with the people mm-hmm. here. And you start to relate more, more and more to nomads. And it starts to be like, where, where am I meant to be? Where do I fit in? And ho- is home even home anymore? No. But um, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Of, of how do you manage that? So your home in Kenya now, how do you manage that, that mindset and fit in and still like have those relationships with people you've known for so long? So what uh, what happened first of all is that I don't I don't socialize as frequent as I would like to with the friends that I had here, and uh, yeah. the reason being uh, uh, mostly that like financial um, you've changed so much we don't have anything in common. <laughs> And then also right. there is the part that uh, most of them are married, they have kids, so they want to do kids right. stuff. I really don't want to do, like, I can do that <laughs> for once, but after a while I'm like, right. no. And, you know, even yep. the nomads who have kids, they tend to be more, um, like, more diverse. They do other right. stuff. So it's very different when someone's, like, constantly wanting to do the same thing. Oh, let's hang out. Let's do this. Like, the same thing over yeah. and over. I had the same thing uh, problem also in Minneapolis. Is Once I started yeah. to travel, I started to change so much that whenever yeah. I'd be there to make money, I'd just stick to making money because... Uh, they'd say, oh, do you want to go to Jay's for a beer? I'd say yes and go to Jay's. Do you want to go to Jay's for a, mo- uh, for a beer? The same. So you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, yeah. as nomads, we tend to, like, if I get bored, I change and go to a different location. I don't stick around <laughs> and put up with their yeah. reputation. So it's yeah. a... It's the same I did, I do here. So my mom has had to, like my whole family has had to adjust because I cannot go home and stay for three weeks. Like it just will drive me crazy. And it's because of those things. Like I get bored so fast, I have to do things. And the things that I want to do are not the things that everyone wants to do. So I tend to do a lot of solo travel by myself a lot. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, how you're mentioning like you're, as you travel, finding that expat and nomad community and also trying to be, you know, get to know locals and people there, but also being different. How have you found um, just to be mindful of local communities, not to be, you know, like a nomad who just comes in and stomps in and spends money and leaves? Like, how have you tried to really fit into the local community in that way? Because it sounds like you've done a pretty cool job. Um, to me, the, the one thing that I've always had, even from when I was a kid was respecting the people you find in a place. So like, yeah. even in college, we had this matron who was always a pain in the ass because she's always like, don't dress <laughs> up like this, don't do this. But whenever she would find me, even if I knew I was doing it wrong intentionally, I'd be like, I'm really, really sorry. Sorry. And, uh, you know, let, um, I wouldn't do it again. And it's the same principle, like when I go to a place, I always say uh, most places it's rude to not say hello. And especially if you're going there for coffee every day, maybe you should start talking. So most people are just okay with, hi, how are you doing? And then you go and do your stuff. But also the other thing I found is um, whenever I travel, if I'm traveling, when I'm doing solo travel, I tend to socialize with locals a lot more than when I'm in an expert group or with a group of nomads. And uh, part of it being is we always plan the things we want to do. And whenever we go to a room, we are more focused in ourselves that we don't reach out to the other person to say hello and that kind of stuff. So um, whenever I'm alone, I just try to blend in as much as I can. I did the same thing in Panama, which worked really well. Actually, uh, I think we were talking the same thing. uh, um, I was in Bucas. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I stayed in Red Frog because I needed the silence uh, to make the calls. Yeah. But that, yeah, the Selena in Red Frog, I hope they've changed it. It stunk so bad. I've never stayed in some <laughs> a place so moldy, but the surrounding, like the nature was so nice, it was worth it being there. But yeah. uh, the I hostel, forget, I think so. I went after you and they have redone it because it was nicer mm. when I was there. But yeah, I also stayed on Red Frog Island and it's like this place in the middle of nowhere oh, that has Wi Fi and like, beautiful beaches. Yes. Yeah, and it's like a yeah. little 10 minute, 10 minute boat ride from all the busyness of the, the main island of Bocas. And um, I enjoyed the boat rides. Actually, I would just do me it too. every day. Just so <laughs> Get out on the water. It's yeah. a little water I taxi. I stayed there like so long run. that they started uh, uh, letting me go for free because they thought I was that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. How long were you there for? Oh, I think it was almost uh, a month, uh, one month in uh, one yeah. month. Yeah, amazing. I was there for three weeks, which also yeah. it's like more of a kind of transient place. So yeah, I was there with one other friend, um, a South African friend of mine. And we also stayed for so long. You just like see people come and go every couple of days. And you're like, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> like, get to know the staff. It's a fun little place. But um, yeah, before we hop to the end of the questions, um, let's talk about Nigeria for a second. Yeah. Uh, tell me about any and then you went to a couple other different countries afterwards, too. Um, what were any of your highlights or obstacles, difficulties? Um, of our time together in Nigeria. Well, I'll tell you. Like we went to, um, we went to after uh, Nigeria. We went to Ghana, uh, Ivory Coast, and Senegal. And I'll tell yeah. you, Nigeria was the hardest. <laughs> 
I Nigeria was, was really oh hard. Oh my god, it was hard. There is, I have, I have, uh, like there is a digital nomad, I think, a group for Africa. And there was a Nigerian, yeah. uh, there was a girl who was asking about Nigeria for digital nomadic uh, between Nigeria yeah. and Ghana. And I said, definitely <laughs> Ghana. By the way, Accra is very beautiful and good. Like I always say, I'll go there for as a solo traveler. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And he was, he was trying to tell me how Nigeria is very forward and very advanced and all. The, and I'm like, no. I've been to yeah. a lot of countries and I know Same. like even coming from Kenya, I come from more of a privileged uh, ba- uh, background. So I can't really say right. I'm well-traveled in the very difficult areas, but right. Nigeria was next level. It was Yeah, a- let's talk about that because same. So how many countries have you said you've been to in total? Uh, 21 or 22. <sighs> yeah. It's a lot. I've been to a lot too. And I think, you know, we always tell people who are listening, it's like, we, if you're just first starting out as a nomad, maybe you're working for a company and you, like go to the easier places to start, you know, get mm-hmm. used to it. But as you get more and more comfortable, you try these harder places. Brunch and I think out. Matt was like, we, we got to do this. We, I think we knew it was going to be hard, but um, oh, it's interesting. You know, I think back sometimes when I'm like in these, you know, our month in Nigeria and I'm like, I could just be in Mexico on a beach and it would be easy. But I also think that it's like the most growth happens in, yeah. in really hard places as well. So for me, I know like, you know, there was almost no Wi-Fi. So we were tethering to our phones and SIM cards, which actually worked out well, but like it yeah. took us a few days to figure that out. Uh, it was difficult to walk anywhere. It was harder as a woman to like really walk alone many places. Um, like our power would cut out all the time. The power, um, I think, for digital nomads, that's what I was saying in that group. The power, like we were lucky we had a generator and that guy yep. was, uh, tried his best to always make sure it had gas in it. Yes. Otherwise, yep. uh, imagine if we were in an Airbnb without uh, uh, power. Like there is no right. way you would work with that power. It's gone like yeah. day and night. And it's almost like it's here for an hour and then it's gone for three hours. <laughs> yeah and that's why I was lucky like we almost didn't need wi-fi anyway mm-hmm. even if we had worked because the power was out so often and that's just part of living in, in Lagos in Nigeria almost you know most of the nicer houses have uh, generators for that reason and I know I would just be on calls and I used my sim card you know so it wasn't attached to power and the power would go <laughs> out and I would just keep on working or you know we'd go to that hotel for a lot of hours during the day. And I know you run a lot of phone calls. Um, so yeah, those were some, some tricky things, but what, were, as you look back in Nigeria, what were some of like, what maybe what felt hard then, but like you look back with growth or just even in the moments, like, what did you, what did you love about Nigeria? So with Nigeria, I think, um, I think it made my travel easier <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> like everything now, else, everything else is like easier. Nowadays, <laughs> Nothing really phases <laughs> me because it happens and I'm right. like, oh, it's not worse than Nigeria yet. <laughs> like, actually, yeah. I have never been in a place, um, and you'll, I think you'll remember this. Remember when the, so their drainage system <laughs> is so bad yes. that when it rains, it floods the whole, <laughs> the, whole uh, street. the whole street. And I mean, like, it's a swimming pool level type. Yeah, like How it's like a river flowing. Uh, it's almost uh, in feet. About six feet oh, or higher. So we are in an uh, we are in an Uber, 
And all of a sudden, the water is seeping in, and you know it's mixed with sewer, and we all have our feet up on our seats because we don't want the sewer water to get on our feet. I mean, it yeah. was like, and then we are seated like in this VIP section. I've never had a place where I'm seated in VIP and there is a glass and I there is like sunset and trash. <laughs> like, we have like the lake view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm not meaning like just it's lots of plastic with sewer water yeah. and we're seated enjoying they've given us um remember the bottle service place that had white yeah. couches? They had these yeah. white couches. They call it VIP, and you cannot order just a glass of whatever you want. They want you <laughs> to take a bottle. This is where we as tourists sit out, and mm-hmm. they're like, "You guys go and sit there." And it's super expensive. So yep. we sit. We're sitting there, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" If if you could tell anyone, they would say you're making it up. But it's really <laughs> VIP in Nigeria. <laughs> Trash, sunset, and <laughs> and then I remember we went to that beach. Like you travel almost uh, how many miles was that? Like a uh, five, ten miles? Yeah. Yeah. yeah where like we had the clean the beach. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm not swimming in that water. <laughs> yeah. Because it was different. You know, it was five different. miles after, like from there, is where that sewer water and trash, and then this other place, they've cleaned it up, but now they are charging you like uh, some amount to get in because now they have a clean right. beach. But I'm like, well, <laughs> if I go further down, I'll find trash. So, really, I don't trust this water. <laughs> Yeah, I, that is one thing I remember walking down the streets, like that main strip near our house is that the like, instead of sidewalks, there were these little kind of like, almost, I don't know, like little pieces of wood or kind of things you could almost walk on, but it was just filled with trash underneath it. There wasn't it's, much of a system there. You know, when the first day when we got there, I was wondering why um, why there was so much trash in the drainage, like the plastics. And yeah. then also, like in a very good neighborhood, like where we are staying, I'm like, why is there right. like, trash everywhere? Like, right. I'm used to, like, if you come here to Nairobi and you come to a nice neighborhood, there is no way in hell you'd ever get, like, right. trash laying around. Like, they clean right. it up all the time. So I was expecting that because we chose this cool apartment, <laughs> yeah. we're going to have, like, really good service and everything is great. And then yeah. I came to realize, you know why? Because they can't keep sweeping because every time it rains, the rain comes up with all the plastic floating, and then when it drains, trash is everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. this is a rich neighborhood. Why don't these people just clean outside of their, yeah. like, uh, clean up yeah. the trash? I mean, the drainage yeah. so that it drains out. But yeah. um, the security guy at the place we were staying in Nigeria, they said the rich people have cars, they drive around, so they don't really care. They don't have to step on this trash. So it's just regular right. poor people who have to step on it. And I was like, wow, that is really selfish. 
Yeah, very much. And it's just interesting, I think, as a traveler to be able to hop into these communities and really, you know, if I think about just going on vacation, you know, if we had gone on vacation in Nigeria, let's say, you might just go to a hotel and you stay in that place and you go to the nice beach and you don't really see all these day to day things. So I think it's, you know, one of the most important things to me about being able to live in a neighborhood, stay in a place and see what's going on everywhere. Long enough to figure out things. Because remember about the fake reviews of how food is nice in this hotel and then we get there and we get crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's reviews. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it my. took a while. Yeah. Nigeria was one. It definitely took us, I feel like a week and a half, two weeks, maybe like three weeks to really like figure, figure out it. what we were doing there. Yeah. And we, we, I don't know when, whether you were there when we figured out that if you want to know where to go, don't go to online for reviews. They're lying. <laughs> you just yeah. ask the taxi driver, um, the Uber yes. driver, what are the popular places locals go and you go there. Otherwise, like if yeah. you're going online, most of them, they're not yeah. legit. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it was, was an which one. makes it really hard because if you're solo traveling, that's how I get places. I go online, look and see what people right. have done. And then I try to do the same, but it doesn't yeah. work in Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of growth in Nigeria. Like you said, I'm everywhere else feels really easy to travel, but I did love like the people there, the music they there, were, the sounds there, like uh, the heart yeah. of the people there is, is amazing. The regular people, like not the rich snobs, but the regular yeah. people uh, who just have regular jobs and they're, they're very nice. They're very fl- friendly. They're willing to help you. But yeah. I found like, I think it's, remember those clubs that we were going to where everyone's <laughs> high heels and whatever that was? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. it's so fake. There was no yeah. originality. And then you go during the day to uh, yeah. to places and you meet regular Nigerians. They're so nice. Yeah, they're amazing. So yeah. the, uh, the difference between the rich and the poor in Nigeria is huge. And there is a yeah. huge disconnect that... Yeah. Um, I just found that they don't respect the regular Nigerians. Remember, like yeah. when that uh, when that police um, army person was uh, try- was hitting the car that went through the wrong side. Actually, it was on the right side, but he didn't want it to pass there. Remember right, tonight? Right. Yeah. On the way back from the club, yeah. And that was the strangest thing. Like, you go to the streets at night and there is uh, army people guarding cars, like these expensive cars. And uh, I remember Matt asking, what are they guarding? (laughs) (laughs) The cars, yeah. It's an interesting place here. Yeah, the police and security. And um, yeah, it is is different, but I definitely feel a lot of growth for having experienced that. Yeah, I think if I went to Nigeria again and I'd like to go, I'd like to go to the local places, not where we stayed. Uh, maybe yeah. I would stay like where we stayed for security, like equipment stuff, but I would right. go hanging out on the other side, on yeah. the mainland yeah, sure. uh, Lagos. And then also yeah. if it's possible to go with a local, I think a local would be very helpful in Nigeria because on the for last sure. two days we had the the tenants, uh, I mean the guy yeah. we had rented the house from, took us to places and it was so much easier to even get in. Remember when they were like, this homeless girl is not coming in. She doesn't look like 
it's me, the man. That's- yeah, the things you learn, and we learn as we go. And we, you know, I don't think any of us really knew any fellow nomads who had traveled that way in Nigeria. So you know, we're here for advice Africa. now. People, people need. Yeah, Africa is hard to travel that way. The more I go around, I'm like, you know, South America has a trail. It has places right. where like <laughs> travelers go for cheaper stuff, yeah. and it's always safe, and everyone knows what to do. Africa doesn't have that. And so no. that is what makes it really hard to travel in Africa because you are always uh, uh, based on luck. Like, uh, yeah, you're like a pioneer yeah. every time trying so to like. There is out your no way. fixed prices about anything. So that means the <laughs> local get it super cheap. And if someone thinks you have money, they want your whole bank account. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes yeah, the definitely. value that you're given for stuff does not match what you're getting. Actually, most of the time, if they know like you have money and because of our colonial history, anyone that's white must have a lot of money. Or if I've been abroad, I must have come with the whole of U.S. bank accounts to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to spend. So it's just um, that's what makes Africa really hard to travel. Otherwise, it should be really cheap because uh, locals right. are able to live here for very cheap and exactly. survive, but we just yeah. need a trail of uh, things that work, which is missing. All right. Yeah, let's start a trail, Agnes. Yeah. <laughs> trail through Africa. <laughs> nice. I think, you know what they should do? They should do like the documentary. <laughs> they should do like people following you around and then you do all these cool things they can record and sell that shit and you can do it. Yeah. And then that like becomes a little path. Yeah. And then uh, that way you also have the security you need. Then you're not always like worried. I'm solo traveler in Africa and things are going to go wrong any minute. All right. I'm loving this idea. (laughs) Next. So, so much good information, Agnes. I know we're coming up an hour, so I don't want to take too much of your time. Okay. But I have a couple of what we call some rapid fire questions if yep. you are up for answering them. You've already okay. shared so much knowledge and helpful information. So, all right, a couple of quick questions. One, what is a packing tip that you have for someone who's maybe just getting started as a digital nomad? Um, I would say don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it Agnes does which is what uh, no pack what I did uh, actually up to this day I think I still pack too much but on the yep. first no, like uh, trips that I used to go I'd go with a suitcase a backpack and another backpack <laughs> <laughs> so don't pack um, the, uh, the tip I can say is uh, of course carry your electronics that you need and try to get the small size one and put your laptop and all the electronics in a backpack that you can go in with in a, pl- a plane because you don't want to check it in. And then get clothes that can go with many things. So like yeah. blue jeans and then mm-hmm. lots of uh, tops, uh, smaller tops. Um, the other thing, a mistake I've always made was I, let's say I'm going to like Spain and it's summer. I only carry summer <laughs> clothes. What happens is we end up going for a hike and then I freeze to yep. death. <laughs> so have... I know, no matter where, no matter how warm you think you're going to be, always yeah, bring a jacket. Always, always bring something for cold weather because you don't yes. know what your plans are going to be. If things mountain could... you're going to hike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> things could change completely 
basically it could be a delayed flight or it could be an emergency landing. You end up in Iceland. <laughs> Never so, know. Oh, so fun for every um, every occasion. I mean, uh, at least warm and cold. Then you cover. Yeah. And I would say, don't bring your whole bathroom <laughs> and bedroom stuff. I've done that. I don't know why I still I, I I still do it. It's a weakness I have, but I'm working on it. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, next question: What are the top kind of one, two, or three places that you're like your bucket list places you'd love to get to? Oh my God, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> or just rattle I, off a couple. You, I know we always have so many. Yeah, you know, like as a, a digital nomads, we always see other people travel, and I'm like, that's next. That's next. Must that's go next. there. Yes. So the right more people now, you follow uh, and know, the more places you have to go. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm actually thinking about uh, doing South Africa and the Seychelles, and then the Middle East. So I'd like to go to like. Uh, uh, to Yemen, Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq. Because oh, I, I, I kind of feel like I miss out on those cool places because of this uh, fear that, oh, yeah. uh, something could go, uh, go wrong. But I've also, like, I've done a little bit of research on YouTube and I've seen other YouTubers have gone and uh, they and they seem to report, like, it's it doesn't match the news that comes out. So yes. I and that yeah. has also happened everywhere I've traveled. Is usually things are worse are described worse than they really are by the media. Because yeah, for sure. Even Nigeria, even Nigeria, like I was so scared. Things. I mean, it wasn't the most ideal, but it wasn't as worse as I thought it was supposed to be. Right. I mean, the yeah. trash caveat was a little <laughs> bit different, but most of it was just uh, regular Not stuff. dangerous yeah. like it yeah. said it might be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, next question is, how do you, so I just, a quick one. You talked about your life being kind of depressed on the couch, eating potato chips, to now your life as a nomad, doing work, owning your value. How do you think your life has changed most? Like, how do you feel now compared to, to when you rewind before your life as a nomad? Um, nowadays, I actually sometimes have to pinch myself because I'm, I'm, I, I'm making more money than I've ever made. And yeah. I have more time of, to myself. Like for um, before I went to Uganda, I stayed for three, almost four months. I had not, like I had taken a few appointments, but I had not really worked. And my <laughs> bank account was not going to zero. That's a miracle. <laughs> I used to be so broke. I used to be so yeah. broke. You have no idea. I used to get those like cans. Uh, are they the Campbell soup cans? Yeah. And then yeah. The, the noodles, I forget what they're called. The packet noodles. Ramen noodles. Yeah, ramen noodles. Those used to be my yeah. best friends because I was like, I could not afford shit. And then yeah. fast forward, like uh, it's been almost like uh, 15 years. Actually, it started from when I took the management job and made uh, terrible choices. But yeah. it's been interesting how... I've reduced the amount of hours I work. I've, my health is so much better and I'm making yeah. more money than I did. And my fear used to be, if I don't work, I'll be broke forever, you know? Like sometimes yeah. you never know unless you try. 
Yeah, that's such a great lesson. I think so many people have a fear of, you know, if I go travel the world, you know, I'm not going to make as much money. I'm going to ruin my career, my life, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be put on pause or going to burn through all my savings and exactly the opposite. You know, you really can find ways to be more creative. You learn from other travelers, you get better and better. You can make more money. You can have a career and it's, it's the opposite of what most people think. So yeah. lastly, um, what is just like a piece of leaving advice, words of wisdom from Agnes for someone who <laughs> is hearing your interview who maybe it was in your, you know, where you were unhappy working or just in the same place in a rut, what would you, you know, if they're thinking about taking the leap to get a remote job, become a digital nomad, what would you say to them? Um, I'd say you're stronger than you think you can do it. You just Uh, need to make the first step. Yeah. Perfect. You'll be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) You will. You don't know where in the world this journey will, will lead you quite literally, but Oh, so many great stories, Agnes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. So appreciate it. I know people are going to benefit so much from hearing this story from uh, from uh, Campbell's Soup and Noodles <laughs> on the couch from Minneapolis to traveling the world, make more money, living an epic life. And um, yeah, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of intention and you did it. And so awesome. So I will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Yeah, and, thank uh, you for having me. This was great. I always like sharing more about the digital nomad lifestyle so people can know it can be done. Love it. And maybe people will come to any, yeah, one last tip. Uh, tips for Kenya. If someone comes, where should they go? Um, Where should they go? As in like, uh, oh, tourism. If someone came to visit Kenya. Definitely yeah. the Maasai Mara if you love wild animals, which I don't yeah. I don't know why anyone wouldn't. But visit oh, the amazing. wild animals. They're so cool yeah. to watch. But uh, yeah. if you're making the plans, you want to make it locally, don't do it online because uh, they are overpriced. It's the same with South America. You know that. Right. That's such good advice. I used to plan everything ahead of time. But you say, get get on the ground, get in the country, figure it out once you're there. It'll be more affordable. Perfect. All right. Well, love it. Thanks, Agnes. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Okay. Thanks. All right. We really hope that you enjoyed that episode with Agnes. What an inspiring story from being depressed in Minneapolis on the couch with potato chips and beer for many months, feeling depressed to taking the reins in her hand and going on this adventure to live life as a digital nomad and the change, wow, what a change in her life. So if she can do it, as you heard her say, so can you. So if you are feeling inspired, we have a course to help you learn how to get a remote job and become a digital nomad. It takes you from step A to Z as quickly as possible. So there are many routes to live life as a digital nomad. You can be a freelancer, you can be an entrepreneur, but the quickest, fastest, easiest, and most reliable way to get started is to work as an employee for an existing company who will let you travel full-time, getting that automated paycheck every couple of weeks. So if this is something you're interested in, be sure to check out our Go Remote Employment course with Beach Commute. You can go to beachcommute.com GRE, and we can't wait to see you in a different country sometime soon. Bye.